Last week we spoke to you concerning redeeming time and we told you how valuable time is and, and we cannot afford to waste time. So the Bible tells us to redeem our time. If you didn't hear the message, please, it's available online. We encourage you to go back and listen to these messages. I haven't said it for a while, so let me say it. The Word of God is going to transform us, but for that Word to transform us, it needs to get into our hearts. It needs to change the way we think, and that requires diligence on our part to keep hearing it and hearing it until it does its work. Amen? So don't just listen to sermons once. Listen to sermons until they change and transform the way you think and therefore the way you act. In Jesus' name. All right, Philippians chapter 3. Um, let's begin at verse 3, please. Philippians 3, verse 3. Let's read together. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. That's a sermon right there, but that's not what I'm preaching on. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. That's the Apostle Paul speaking. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisees. I mean, that's his resume. Those are his credentials. And back then, you couldn't get any better than that. I mean, that was at the very top, okay? Next verse. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He was so zealous for his religion. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, Blameless. In other words, I was committed to this thing. I practiced it. I did it with all my might. And I was good at it. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. I've counted what? Loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, that word rubbish, anyway, I'll, 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 I'll talk about it in the sermon. Yet indeed, I also count And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Say that. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may have this personal experiential knowledge of him and that I may experience the power of his resurrection and work in my life 
That resurrection power was the greatest manifestation of power, period. And Paul is saying, I want to know Christ, and I want to experience this resurrection power on a daily basis, working in my life. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of or from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Anybody wants to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of you? Well, that's what I want to talk about um, this morning. Amen? When, when was Paul captured by Christ? When did Jesus lay hold of him? It was on his way to Damascus. When he was on his way to persecute Christians, being zealous, like he said, for his faith, persecuting Christians, he was on his way to Damascus to capture and persecute Christians and make them his prisoner. But while on his way to make them his prisoners, Jesus captured him. Oh my goodness. Jesus captured him, revealed himself to him, and you know the story, Paul fell to the ground, Paul became blinded. Paul said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus identified himself. It is I, Jesus, whom you persecute. You know the story. And Jesus captured him and laid hold of him. And he became a slave, a love slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And Paul then responded by saying, when Christ saved me and he captured me, he laid hold hold of me for a purpose. Now, I have decided I am going to lay hold of the purpose for which he laid hold of me. Somebody here needs to make that decision. You see, because if you are born again, if you are saved, the day you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, he captured you. Amen. He laid hold of you. Hallelujah. And Paul, Paul said, I'm going to lay hold of that purpose of which he laid hold of me. And, and that should be the way you and I respond. If he has captured you and made you his love slave, he captured you for a purpose. Say, Christ captured me for a purpose. Now, what is that purpose? Later on, Paul tells us to reveal, God wanted to reveal his son in Paul. And so, Paul was captured by Jesus the day he was saved in order that Jesus might make him like unto himself and then reveal himself through Paul to the world. Amen? And that's exactly why Jesus laid hold of you. He captured you. He saved you in order to transform you into his image. In other words, he captured you to recreate you in his image. 
He captured you to make you like himself. And then to reveal himself through you to the world. Say, Jesus captured me when he saved me for this purpose. To transform me or remake me into his image. And to reveal himself in me to the world. Paul understood that was the reason Christ had captured him. And then he responded by saying, I'm going to make it my business for the rest of my life to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. One more time, say, I'm going to make it my business in 2021. And every day forward, I am going to be laying hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. Hallelujah. Next verse, 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. You know, as Paul said, I haven't yet arrived fully. I've left, I'm on my way, but I realize I have not yet laid hold of completely the purpose for which I have been laid hold of by Christ. In other words, I am not yet completely conformed in all of my attitudes, in all of my actions, in everything. I am not yet completely conformed to his image. But one thing I do, the fact that I'm not yet fully conformed doesn't mean, you know, I, I don't intend to quit. Amen? I don't intend to become discouraged. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press, come on, say that, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. What kind of call? Upward. What type of call? Upward. You see, there's, there's, there, there, is an, there is an upward call. A lot of people want to go forward. God has called you to go. Amen. In the kingdom of God, God is concerned not about you going forward per se, but about you going what? So all of the pressing, all of the energy, all of the effort that Paul is putting into this, he's putting into this for this reason. Not to move forward, but to move upward. There's a call to move upward. Amen? And that call is of God, and it is in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, Therefore, in light of what I've just said, as many of us as are mature, if you are mature, if you are a developed, a mature son of God, or if you desire to become a fully mature and developed son of God, he said, have this mind. The same mind that I've just expressed, the same attitude that I have expressed towards God's call upon my life, you need to have that same attitude. And he said, if anyone of you think otherwise, you, if anyone thinks that you don't need this, that same attitude that I just described, 
God will reveal it to you. He will let you know that you really do need, as a believer saved by grace, you need this attitude towards God's call upon your life. Are you listening to me? Amen. Say it's an upward call. Hallelujah. So now, Paul was captured, laid hold of by Christ. His response was, I am going to spend the rest of my days seeking to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Jesus laid hold of Paul. Jesus laid hold of you in order to remake you into his image, make you just like him. Hallelujah. And in order to reveal himself in you to the world. Now, one third of that process of making you just like him is already complete. You are born again. You see, he, he began this process of remaking you into his image by first dying for you in order to forgive you, what? Of all of your sins so that you can become, what? The righteousness of God in Christ so that the Holy Spirit now could legally live in you and transform you from the inside out. The work began in your spirit. That's why the Bible says if any man is, born, is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. That work of making you just like Christ has already begun in your spirit. You are a new creation. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. So one third of this thing is already done. Your spirit is like Jesus. Amen. Born again. It grows, but it's, it's Christ-like. Like him. Say hallelujah. So that part is complete. Now the, 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 the other phase, the second phase of this transformation is taking place in your soul. Okay, that has to do with the renewal of the mind. That's the process now that is taking place in us so that we begin to think like Jesus, talk like Jesus, feel like Jesus, respond to life like Jesus. Amen? That work is taking place in our soul. And then the third phase in this work will occur when Jesus returns, and that is what the Bible calls our hope. That is when we will get our glorified bodies. At that time, we will be completely like him. Say hallelujah. Spirit, soul, and body. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, that's your future. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's your future. And that's, that, that's the future. That's that upward call. Amen. That, that we have been called to, to be conformed completely to the image of Christ and to be vehicles in whom and through whom he is revealed. His life is expressed. His love is expressed. His power is being expressed through us. One third of it already done. The second phase being done. The third phase awaits the future when he comes and then we will be like him. Our bodies, even our bodies will be transformed into the likeness of his glorified body. Amen. At that time, you won't have to, you, you, you know, you'll be able to take the coronavirus and, and, and drink the virus and, and, and nothing will happen to you. The virus will die. Say hallelujah. You won't have to wear that mask. Amen. Hallelujah. Why? Because you're going to have that glorified body that is no longer subject to decay. It's immortal. It cannot die. That's your future, right? But it's a, it's a future, but it's already started. And we need to acknowledge it's already done. In our spirit, that work is complete. But now the Holy Spirit is working 
in us to conform us to that image. And so when Paul said, I lay hold of that for which Christ was laid hold, has laid hold of me, he would say, I'm committed to this process. I'm committed to allowing God to do what God wants to do in me to transform me into the image of his son and to form me into that image and then to reveal his son through me. This is what God wants and I'm committed to it. And Paul said in verse 15, you and I need to have that same mind and commit ourselves to that process which has started in us. Are you hearing me? Hallelujah. Beloved, one of these days we will, be able to, we will discover that we are just like him. Spirit, soul, and body. All right? Now, you are saved, but you're not saved to sit. You know, a lot of folks are, okay, saved and they're waiting for Jesus to come from heaven or for them to go to heaven. That was not Paul's attitude, right? Paul knew that he was saved, and then Paul knew the purpose for which Christ had saved him, and Paul knew that he needed to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in this process. We are expected to use our will. We are expected to cooperate with the purposes of God. When God makes a promise to you, that promise is backed by his power. And he will fulfill that promise, and you can rest on that promise because you know the power of God will bring it to pass. But we are expected to do what? Respond to that promise in faith. We are to do the things that will demonstrate, one, we desire that promise to be fulfilled in, in, in our lives, and those things that are consistent with what God has said. So if God says to you, uh, I want to prosper you, I will prosper you. Well, that promise is backed by his power, correct? But you don't therefore say, since God said he's going to prosper me, I'm going to sit down and watch TV all day, I'm going to prosper. If you do that, it means you don't desire it or you don't believe it. Okay, if you hear God say to you, I am going to prosper you, and you really believe it, then how do you respond? That's corresponding action, Right? You don't sit and cross your, your leg or cross your hands because you believe God is going to prosper you. You ask God for wisdom to show you what you need to do in order to cooperate with his plan to prosper you. Are you following me? God gives you the wisdom and you act upon it. Right? So God will give you wisdom. You act upon that wisdom. In that way, you are cooperating with a process that will allow God to prosper you. Even when it comes to health. You know God wants to make you well. You pray based upon the promise, but then you ask God for wisdom. Amen. You don't, you, don't, you don't believe God wants you healthy, and then you just do all the wrong things and say, well, God said he wants me healthy, so I'm going to just eat junk. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to exercise. I'm, you, know, I'm, I, 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 you follow me? If you are doing that, it means you don't really desire what God has promised you, nor do you really believe God is going to bring it to pass. Because if you really believe and desire health, when God promises you health, you say, now, Lord, what, give me wisdom. What am I supposed to do? How should I respond to this promise? God will give you the wisdom, and you're supposed to, by, with his help, begin to walk in that wisdom. And as you walk in that wisdom, his power will bring to pass in your life that which you're asking for. Are you listening to me? 
Amen. So we know God's will and God's promise is to do what? Conform us to the image of his son and then reveal his son in us. If you desire that and if you believe that, you should say, now nah, God, give me wisdom. Well, how am I supposed to respond to this? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to cooperate with you so that you can bring this to pass and bring this to pass quickly in my life? All right? And when you seek wisdom from God concerning spiritual growth, concerning conforming to the image of Christ, this is the wisdom that God is going to give you. This is the wisdom that he gave Paul. And through Paul, he's giving you the same wisdom. And, and he's saying to you, don't sit. Make some decisions because you desire to lay hold of that for which I laid hold of you because you desire to be conformed to the image of Christ because you want this work that is taking place in your soul to prosper. This is what you need to do. You need to make some decisions and you need to make the same kind of decisions that Paul made. You need to have the same mind and the same attitude that Paul had towards your spiritual growth if you want to experience spiritual growth. So wisdom from God requires that I have the same mind that Paul had towards spiritual growth. The same attitude. So now we look at the text in order to determine what was Paul's attitude. What were certain decisions that Paul made in light of the revelation that Christ wanted to conform him to his image? And I want to draw your attention to three things because these are the three things that God wants to reveal to you and the three decisions I believe we need to make in order to allow the Holy Spirit to do this work fully in our lives so that we don't become stagnant but we actually find ourselves growing and becoming more and more like Jesus every day in attitude and actions and in power. Are you ready? All right. The first thing is found in verse 7. Go to verse 7 please. Let's read it together. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted. So here is Paul. Remember Paul said, you need to think and have my, the same attitude I have. And here is one of the decisions that Paul made. In light of the purpose of God, based upon his decision to lay hold of that for which Christ had laid hold of him, Paul made this decision. One, to count all things lost. For Christ. What do you and I need to do? Make the decision to consider or to count all things lost for Christ. You see, here's the problem. If my hands are full and you want to give me something, because my hands are full, I cannot receive what you want to give me. If I want to receive what you're giving me and my hands are full, what do I have to do? Put the things that are in my hand down, free my hand so I can receive. Now, the only way I will agree or be willing to put these things down in order to get what you are trying to give me is if I'm convinced that what you want to give me is better than what I just put down. Are you hearing me? So Paul has a revelation, amen? And Paul realized God wants to do something. God wants to give me something and God has a plan for me. But in order for that thing that God wants to do in me and through me, 
to be fulfilled, there are certain things right now that are in the way. And if I keep holding on to them like I have in the past and keep valuing them like I once did and keep retreating them like I once did, that very thing will hinder the work that God wants to do in my life, which is to reveal his son through me and to make me into the image of that son. And therefore, I am going to do what? Put all of these things aside. Count them lost. To count something lost is to, is to say it's, it's worthless. It, 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 it no longer has any value to me. Wow. Now, do you know what Paul is talking about? Do you know the things that he's now considering worthless? We read about them, right? From verse 6, I believe, to verse 8, if I'm, I don't know, from 4 to 6, I think. We read about them. And what were they? He talked about he was a Pharisee. He was zealous. He was uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, which was a very, 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 very prestigious thing. He, didn't, he wasn't just a citizen of a, just any country. He was a citizen of Israel. Amen? And concerning the law, blameless. Amen? So here it is. Paul is talking about his, his heritage, his very proud heritage as a, as, a, as a Jew, as an Israelite. His position as a Pharisee. His own righteousness compared to others. Blameless. He's talking about status. He's talking about position. He's talking about education. He's talking about prestige. He's talking about family. He's talking about heritage. These are the things that men value. These are the things that men want. These are the things that men pursue. Because in their mind and heart, these are the things that will bring them status and respect before men, and these are the things that the religious that will bring them favor before God. And Paul once believed that. And because he believed that, he pursued these things with all of his heart, and he did a good job through self-effort and discipline and hard work. He achieved things that caused men to look at him and say, wow, one day I want to be like Saul. His, the parents of the children used to point to Saul as he walked down the street. And he said, you see that man Saul, Pharisee Saul, one day I want you to be like him. These were things that would make Paul walk with his chest out. And when he walked into the room, everybody looked at him. And he was proud of his accomplishments. Because they brought him what he considered as respect before men. And he thought it also made him righteous and gave him favor before God. But now Paul decides that all of these things that I used to value and, and work for and live for are rubbish. But really, that's just the English way of trying to, because you can't say what Paul really said. If I tell you what Paul really said in church, you would think I have backslidden. You, don't, you, you, don't, you shouldn't use that kind of language, period, but especially not in church, right? So let me try to dignify it. Paul said all of that stuff is nothing but human excrement. Ex excrement. He said, I didn't cuss. <laughs> I didn't cuss. So nobody should leave here and say that bishop 
has backslidden, he cursed. I said, I said well, human. But that's what Paul is saying. He said, all of that stuff, man, that's excrement. Wow. How do you go from, from living for that, valuing that, wanting that, and then get to a place where literally you choose to regard it as excrement? It wasn't that in themselves they were excrement, but because, I mean, in themselves they had some, I guess, natural benefits. But Paul now is regarding them as excrement. Why? In other words, they're worthless. They're a waste of time. They do nothing for me. His, his, his opinion towards these things had changed. The value he attached to it was no longer there. Why? Because Paul now had a new goal for his life. And these things did not contribute one iota to his goal. What was his goal now? The upward call. What was his goal now? To be conformed to the image of Christ. What was his goal now? To be an instrument, a vehicle through whom Christ would be revealed. And he said, that is now what I live for. That is now what I am going after. And these things do not contribute one iota. My, 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 me being a Pharisee will not make me righteous, worthless. Me being a Pharisee will not make me a partaker of the divine life, worthless. Me being a Pharisee will not make me an instrument in whom and by whom and through whom Christ can express his life and power, worthless. Amen? Being a Jew, being an Israelite, keeping the law, he realized that these things did not and would not contribute one iota of good to his goal. In fact, they would hinder because if he continued to keep them in his life or regard them as necessary and essential to the degree that he looked to them for righteousness to that degree, he would be hindering himself and blocking Christ and the work of God in his life. You follow me? Amen. And so we have to have this mind. I count everything but loss for Christ. Amen? It's a decision that relative to Christ and what Christ has offered me and what I can become in him and what it takes to become what he's called me to be. These things are worthless. They don't contribute one bit to my spiritual growth and development. They don't contribute anything to my transformation into the likeness of Christ. So I'm not going to give them the kind of place or value that they once occupied in my life. All right? So the first thing is I, can, I must consider all things lost for Christ. Go to verse 8.
Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of what? All things, and count them as rubbish, junk, excrement, that I may, uh, here's the second thing. Don't just count all things lost for Christ. Consider Christ alone as gain. Come on, we need this attitude. Paul is saying, you need this attitude. If you don't have this attitude, God's going to show you. In order to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of you, you need this attitude where you regard all of these natural, earthly things that you should depend of as lost as far as what he has called you to be. They have no value. And then he says, do the second thing. Consider Christ alone as gain, as profit. Gain. You see, when God captured Paul on that day when he was on his way to capture Christians, and then God revealed to Paul, then saw who Jesus was. And Paul saw that this Christ was the Savior of the world, that this Christ is the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins, that in him, Jesus, will be found all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When Paul discovered who Christ was, and that Christ was a treasure house of all of God's wisdom and knowledge, Christ was a treasure house of all spiritual blessings, that in Christ, you will find everything you need to be complete. When he discovered who Jesus was and what Jesus brought and what he could have in Jesus and what he could be in Jesus and what he could do through Jesus and what Jesus could do with him, Paul lost his appetite for everything else. He said, why am I wasting time chasing this, chasing this, when everything I need to be complete, when everything I need for life and godliness can be found in this one person, in this one place. He made it now his goal to gain Christ, to get to know Christ, to be found in Christ, not having his own righteousness. Because he realized his own righteousness that he tried to gain through the law was filthy rags. But now he could literally become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not trying to live this life by his own power, but he could actually now begin to live this life through union with Christ. And Christ would live his life through him. Wow. When he saw the riches of Christ and all that can be found in Jesus, Paul said, I count these things but loss, <laughs> but the rest of my day, I'm going after Christ. Amen. I, I'm going after him. I, I'm no fool. <laughs> you know, I have found the one person in whom I can experience everything I need. This man will make me righteous and holy and blameless. This man will make me a partaker of God's very light. This man will make me light. This man will cause power to flow through me. This man will give me eternal life. This man will save my soul. This man will manifest the very life and nature. This man will be peace 
when I need peace. He'll be joy when I need joy. He'll be strength when I need strength. He'll be provision when I need provision. Everything I need is in him. This man will free me from guilt and condemnation. This man will give me access to the throne of God where I can find mercy and I can obtain grace in time of need. This man will conform me to his very own image and he'll elevate me and cause me to sit at the very right hand. What do I need other than this man? And he made it his goal. Only one, only Christ is gain. Everything else apart from Christ is loss. The world may not think so. Your friends may not think so. Your parents may not think so. Your teachers may not think so. But one day they will discover they're all wrong. I'm serious. They will discover. And the Bible says at that time every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But thank God you don't have to wait for that day. You have been captured. You have been saved. You are, oh my goodness, for this purpose. So go ahead and with Paul, count all things lost for Christ. And with Paul, consider Christ alone gain. And then quickly, last thing, go to verse 13. Hallelujah. Here's the last thing. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but what? One, how many things? How many things? One thing I do. And here's the third thing. You see, that was a decision Paul made. He could have been doing three things. He could have been doing five things. He could be pursuing 10 different goals equally at the same time like some of us are. But Paul, once I'm sure he had a lot of goals, <laughs> but when he discovered Christ and he discovered that Christ laid hold of him for a purpose and when he came to understand more and more what that purpose was Paul said you know what I only <laughs> I only got one thing I need to do one thing I'm going to pursue with all of my heart so here's the last thing consider only one call or one duty worth your all Consider only one call or one duty worth total commitment. Now, out of that call, there'll be many things you do, but the thing that is driving you is the call. As you pursue the upper call, you'll be a good parent. As you pursue the upper call, you'll be a good father. As you pursue the upper call, you'll be a good employee or employer. There are a lot of things you will do, but all of those things will flow out of this single-minded focus and commitment to this one thing, this upper call, this call upward, which is to be transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ. Consider only one duty. Consider only one call worth your all. One thing I do, Paul said. You see, the devil, devil's number one strategy for preventing or hindering or delaying our spiritual growth and development is distraction. It doesn't have to be sin. It just has to be a distraction. And your job can become a distraction. Your husband or your wife can become a distraction. From your call, from the upward call. 
You can become also focused on pleasing your spouse or getting your job done or getting ahead in your, in your place of employment. Huh? That you take your eyes off of a call, which is to be conformed more and more into his image and to be an instrument that he is revealing himself through. That's the upward call. And you must never take your eyes off of that. And if you keep your eyes on the call, and like Paul, you are declaring every day, I'm, you know, I'm going to the office, uh, I'm going to work, I'm you know, going to the church, uh, uh, whatever I'm doing, I'm spending time with my family, but as I do all these things, there's one goal, one thing I'm seeking to do, I am pursuing the upper call. To be conformed to the image of Christ, and that Christ will be revealed through me, wherever I am. And so Paul is stating how passionate he was about this call. And, 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 and you, you know, he made some firm commitments as a result of this call. He was passionate about it. One thing, that's passion. One thing I do, I, for the sake of this call, I'm going to forget the past. I'm not going to let the things in the past stop me from fulfilling this call. I I am going to believe that my past is forgiven. I'm going to put my past in God's hand because I don't want it to distract me from the call. I am going to press forward. That word press there is a, is a, it's athletic imagery. It's like a, a runner running a 500-yard dash, and he's straining. He's putting everything. He's leaning into. You can see his veins. I mean, he's putting everything into it. Ladies and gentlemen, we ought to pursue the call with that kind of total radical commitment and dedication. We're not pursuing it to be righteous. We're righteous, but we want to be conformed to the, to, to the image of Christ in every dimension. Are you hearing me? So we are going to pursue this thing with all our hearts. One thing I do, forget what is past. I want to what? Know him. These are things that Paul, Paul is saying because of this single-minded focus on this upward call to be conformed to the image of Christ and to be an instrument by whom he can be revealed. Now, when Paul wrote this, he had been saved for about 30 years. When he wrote this, he was in a Roman prison. And so here's the Apostle Paul, who God has used to preach better sermons, start better churches, get many people born again, work all kinds of miracles, raise the dead. After 30 years, Paul said, ah, I haven't yet arrived. I've left. <laughs> I've come a long ways, but man, I am not yet fully apprehended. I have not yet become fully conformed to the image of Christ. I still make mistakes. I still fall. I still come short. I still do things that are not Christ-like. I don't always reflect him in all of my dealings, in all of my relationships. I look at myself and I see the transformation. There's definitely the work of God in me. I see myself changing into the image of Jesus. But wow, I still realize that he's better than I am yet. In and I, I am still pressing because I have not yet arrived. Now, now hear me. If Paul said that, you know you and me still got some ways to go. Amen? But here's what I want to say. I, I've, been, I've been saved now for 50 years. And I haven't arrived. Got a lot of a long ways to go. But hear me, that should not discourage you. You should not say, well, 
you know, I've been, you know, for 50 years or for 30 years or however long, but I'm still struggling here. That Listen, don't become discouraged by that. The Apostle Paul did not get discouraged that after 30 years, he had not yet apprehended. Amen? Why? Because he believed God. He believed it when, 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 when the Lord said that he will perform, he will perfect, he will bring to completion that which he starts. Amen? It was the Apostle Paul that said to the Philippians in Philippians 1.6, he said, I know. I know, I know, I know, I know that he who has started this good work in you, he is going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is going to bring it to completion. He's not going to stop until he has completed what he has begun. Hear me, what encouragement. As you look at where you are, encourage yourself. I'm going to keep pursuing this goal because you know what? I was not the one who laid hold of him. He first laid hold of me. And when he laid hold of me, he laid hold of me with a promise that he was going to conform me to his image. He was going to perfect that which had started. He was going to complete. And I believe him. So I am going to continue to work with him and work with the Holy Spirit because I know the day is coming when not only will I be like him in my spirit, but I will be like him in my soul, and I will be like him in my body. And because I have faith that he who has started this good work in me, he's going to perform it, and he's going to keep performing. You know what? I'm going to keep working with him. I'm going to keep cooperating with him. I'm going to keep pressing on. Hallelujah. I'm going to keep encouraging myself that God is at work in me, revealing his son through me for his own glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. May the Holy Spirit take this word and do something in you and me with it that we too may be transformed. And if we didn't have this attitude, which Paul has, that we would now, the Lord has revealed it to you, that you now will make the decision, this too will be my attitude. I'm going to count all things lost for Christ. I'm going to consider Christ alone as true gain. And I'm going to count one duty, one call worthy of total commitment, and that's the upward call in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're watching online and you have not yet, yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me encourage you to do so now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. You see, what we just talked about doesn't begin in your life until all of your sins are forgiven and Jesus Christ becomes your Savior and Lord. The good news is, he's already done everything in order that your sins might be forgiven and that you might be born again. He's done it all. Now he's waiting for you to respond. He's waiting for you to repent, to say, you know what? I'm a sinner and I just, I know I'm not able to save myself. But I believe you, Jesus, and I believe that you're my Savior, that you died for the sins of the world. If you can repent of your sins and then change your mind concerning Jesus and realize who he is, the Savior and Lord who died for your sins, you can right now declare him as your Lord and Savior. Be born again and the work of transformation into his image would have begun. In Jesus' name. Contact us. Send us a text. Let us know that you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And we will help you grow. We'll give you more information in Jesus' name. But pray with me. Say, Father God, 
I confess I have sinned against you and I cannot save myself. I believe the gospel. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for the sins of the world. You raised him from the dead and he's coming again. And since I cannot save myself, Lord Jesus, be my Savior and be my Lord. I trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. If you pray from, that, from your heart, Christ has done something in you. Contact us. Let us help you grow in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you.